At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Coming up on episode 276 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the Toyota RAV4 Adventure, the McLaren Artura. I tried out Tesla's full self-driving beta. D- GM's working with its dealers to put char- EV chargers in communities. Apple's delayed its car. IHS is trying to determine if its crash test facilities can handle heavy EVs. And Polestar and Mercedes are offering EV powertrain upgrades. All that and more coming up next. <laughs> Episode 276 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abul Samet from Guidehouse Insights. And I'm Roberto Baldwin from, let's say, Motor One this week. And Nicole is still on vacation with her hubby in Europe. They're uh, landing back in Boston, I think, late tomorrow night. Um, and then uh, she'll be home for a day and then off on another drive trip. And so That's next exciting. weekend, we'll all be back together. Next weekend, it'll be exciting. It'll be, it'll no longer just be the Sam and Robbie show. <laughs> All right, Robbie, uh, you had, you had some interesting stuff to drive this week. What, uh, what did you drive? I did. If you were listening to last week's episode, I just right in the middle, I just left. Yeah. <laughs> so I left in order to go drive the, uh, McLaren Artura. This is McLaren's, uh, plug-in hybrid supercar. Now they had hybrids before. They had the Speedtail, they had the P1, but those weren't, those were like, you know, those were those McLaren, like, we're going to make free, and they're $70 billion. This is something that regular McLaren owners could buy, if, you know, if you're a regular McLaren owner. So, yeah, as, as McLaren owners go, you know. As more, McLaren owners go, yeah. it's, 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 the starting price is 200 you, you and I could not afford one. No, 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 I could not afford this, this vehicle. Um. $233,000. So let's just, let's just throw that out there. Just put it right out there front. Um. But uh, driving it, no, it's you know it has a uh, 7.5 kilowatt um, hour uh, battery pack, so it's not a huge battery pack, and it gets the EPA says 11 miles. McLaren says if you baby it, you probably you driving around town, you probably get 15 miles. That's your EV only um, range. Uh, so you know it's not as nice to say a Rav Four. 
<laughs> a Rav Four Prime, which will which will do about forty miles. Which will do about forty miles, but it's also way more fun to drive than a Rav Four Prime. I mean, it's <laughs> it's 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 still a McLaren, so they still are trying to keep it light. They're trying to keep it nimble. They're trying to keep it quick, and with this uh, hybrid um, powertrain. Uh, they've been able to do that. The car is about 3,000 pounds. It's not very big. Um, you know, for, for a hybrid, a plug-in hybrid, 3,000 pounds is pretty much nothing. Um, it has 671 horsepower, 530 pound-feet of torque. It has that, uh, it has that EV low-end torque. So you can do 0 to 60 launches in 3 seconds, which at this point, you're only seeing that number really when it comes to... to to EVs, uh, so you get that like low end EV, and then the the, the rest of the motor catches up. It's, so you get that weird feeling when you take off in an EV, where it like pushes your eyeballs, it squishes your eyeballs, it like <laughs> reforms your internal organs, it pushes you. You get that from from the McLaren while you're driving it around. Plus, it's really <laughs> it's just really fun to drive. You know, it's planted. You know, they they. The, the you know the battery pack obviously gives, lowers its center of gravity, but the um, they have this twin turbo V6 in there, and the cylinder is at 120 degrees, so they're really low. It's almost like a boxer engine, where you know so they're they're pretty low, um, and so that also lowers the center of gravity. So you have this car that's you know both elements are are keeping it pretty low to the ground, um, so you have this this car is sort of stuck to the road, and we I drove it in the desert around Las Vegas. It was very fun and, you know, nice long sweeping turns. And I was like, oh, I wish there was something tighter. And then they took us to the, the Las Vegas Motor Speedway and they let us drive it on the track where there was a very, very busy uh, circuit, um, lots and lots of tight turns. And the thing just sticks to the road. It's just, it's really, it's kind of crazy. Just, you know, I mean, not it's, it's a McLaren. I mean, they, they, they're race car people who decided to make, started making cars for regular, well, regular-ish people about <laughs> 11 years ago. So you know they have a you know they have they have that that lineage. Um, in order to uh, to do all this, instead of just cramming you know uh, an EV battery you know a battery pack into a regular McLaren, they they created a brand new uh, architecture. It's called the McLaren Carbon Lightweight Architecture. Which you know they have that carbon fiber tub that uh, that they're famous for, um, and they set it up so that it has space for a battery, and then they have you know new uh, new front and back section. It's that's lighter. It's tighter. The carbon fiber is is um, stiffer. It's lighter than previous carbon fibers that they use in those in their vehicles, and it does all that. But it's also like super safe. That that tub. There was um, a drive program a couple years ago, where one of the one of the uh, journalists. He was with somebody who was new, which is, you know, something that's always terrifying to, like, automotive journalists is getting a drive partner who's new. You've never met him before. They're young, typically a dude. Um, they get, for some reason, they feel like they have something to prove. And this kid didn't, did not, should not probably have been driving a McLaren. Because <laughs> he, he launched it off the road at 70 miles an hour. And it, it tumbled and they got, you know, they were, they're, you know, it's, it's the L.A. mountains. Uh, the mountains above Southern California, <clears throat> and you know they they were upside there's down. Steep drop offs there. Yeah, there's some steep <clears throat> drop offs, and the tub essentially protected them from like getting, well, all smashed to hell. So, yeah, so they're taking that. You know, they take that technology for for their race car teams, and they throw it in vehicles for regular. Well, again, regular ish <laughs> people who have 
a lot more more money than than you and I. Um, <clears throat> it's no, it, it it handles super tight. They don't they don't have steering by wire. They're still using hydraulic assisted steering, which is awesome. If you are a um, performance enthusiast, uh, drive by wire is still it's mostly there. I think it's gotten much better. It used to feel like if you ever drove the i8. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like you were just playing a video game, like the steering. <laughs> There's no feedback. You're just like, wee, turn left, you go left, turn right, you go right. You don't have any feedback from, from the road or from the tension of you know how fast you're going versus you know battling physics. Um, so they're still using uh, hydraulic um, assisted steering, which is nice. Um, it is the first McLaren with adaptive cruise control. So you got that going for you if you if you're the person who buys and dailies your McLaren and. Or you're going on a road trip, uh, you have adaptive cruise control. It does. It has lane keep assist, which is essentially just yelling at you when you're leaving your lane. But it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't engage the steering wheel at all. Um, so no, no, no active assist. Just depart the warning, lane departure yeah, warning. Yeah. So the assistance is just someone yelling at you. You know, it's like like a supervisor. They're yeah. not doing anything. They're just sort of yelling at you to do. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, it. Uh, they do have a. They have an infotainment system. Um, McLaren's not known for its infotainment system. You should not be excited about the infotainment system outside of the fact that it's an 8-inch uh, touchscreen and it supports CarPlay and Android Auto. That's what you should be excited about. You can, you know, you can adjust a bunch of things in the, uh, in the system. But once, you, once you've got it all set up, your car, you just plug in your phone and you're, you'll be a lot, a lot happier. Um, <clears throat> uh, while they're building it, uh, one of the things they wanted to do is make sure that it could do 40 minutes of performance driving without losing any EV performance any electric performance so they worked on that that all said uh yeah two hundred thirty three thousand dollars is really expensive um it's actually quite you, you you have electric comfort uh sport and track mode it's actually quite comfortable in comfort mode which for a mclaren if you've driven a 720 in there the gt is pretty comfortable is a pretty comfortable vehicle that's what they built it for this is like just a little bit below that and on the comfort level so you're going to get a nice, comfortable McLaren when you want it. Um, so you got that going for you. And when you start it up, it always starts in electric mode, so you don't annoy your neighbors. So good for that. And it'll stay in electric mode till like eight, till the battery's dead or up to 81 miles an hour. And yeah, Sam, McLaren Artura. It's I, I'm a big fan. I had a lot of fun driving it. Um, no one. No one got any tickets while we were driving, so that's always good when you're, you're, you're driving McLaren. Um, it surprisingly comfortable for uh, a supercar, uh, surprisingly light and nimble for a plug-in hybrid. Um, and, yeah, no, I mean, they could have really kind of said, well, we're making a McLaren, making a hybrid, and didn't, like done a good job and made it work but they've done a great job. like you don't even know you, you don't even feel the battery pack that's 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 a big sign that's a big thing is throwing well you know, i think it's not, you know, it's not it, huge but yeah. it, you know keeping it relatively modest at about seven and a half kilowatt hours you know i'm sure helps um you know obviously you know if you put in like a you know an 18 uh you know or 20 kilowatt hour battery like you might have in some other plug-in hybrids you know then you would definitely start to feel it plus you know, it's 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 a fairly small car, and packaging a battery that size in there, along with an engine and everything, would would probably be challenging. It was it was really small. It was it's it's uh, that's one of the things like the wheelbase is pretty short. Um, 
but yeah, everything. It's just such a fun car. I mean, if you're rich, hmm. obviously. I mean, I, I. It's a fun car that I'll drive on drive programs, and you know, I'm not going up. I don't. I haven't won the lottery. <laughs> I'm not a. I. I, I, I don't have a. You mean, Motor One of, doesn't pay freelancers quite that much. No, no. Who did I do this for? Oh, it was on for Engadget. So I drove. Oh. So if you want to see, there's a video for, of me driving it around on a gadget. Um, yeah, no, it was. It's. It, oh, it has a drift mode, so you can like adjust drift up to I think 15, 0 to fifteen per, like levels of drift. So you got that going for you on a track. So even when they were handing out the cars, they're like, "Do not use drift mode on the roads. Please do not. You know, do not turn off the 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 the, the um." Traction control on regular roads. We will be on the track later. You can do it there. So, so um, <clears throat> McLaren has, you know, typically has over the last decade had kind of like three different series of cars. They've had, I think it's the sport series is the the lower lower end ones, the the the, the mainstream car, and then I forget what they call like the the mid the mid series. Uh, which is cars like the 720s? Yeah, they just um, called them the supercars. Essentially, okay. I'm sure they they showed me. I'm, I think they showed me a, a slide, but it's supercars is what and, it is. And then they've had the the limited production top end models like the P1 and the Speedtail uh, and the Speedtail. Those yeah, you know, and the Senna. Yeah, you know, those that they make in runs of like 106 units, I think, because 106 is the number of the original McLaren F1s that they built back in the 90s. And so they they did the same number for the uh, the Speedtail and the uh, the P1. Um, so this this replaces uh, like the 650, 670 models in, in that that entry level series. No, this is their their kind. Of, this is a supercar. Oh, so this isn't that mid that mid range. Yeah, no, this is definitely it's not it's 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 a far more uh, performance orientated than say like the GT. I think the okay. GTs. Um, it's no, this is definitely it. it 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 is it is quick it is nimble it is not um when we were on the track um we had to switch cars um during drive and i got a car with cold tires mm-hmm. and they're like hey you know we're going on track be careful and you know the third turn is like got it sideways yeah because it's because it's a supercar it's got a lot of power it's got cold tires it's got you know and this is the thing that people don't you know people who end up like wrecking their cars at car and coffee is that their car's been sitting this whole time and then they're going to drive away, and they don't realize like cold. Ever, there's so many things make your car like dangerous. <laughs> Besides, like just a bad, ad- uh, you know, stupid attitude <laughs> and bad <laughs> ideas. Um, but like cold tires will will throw you sideways really quickly um, when you have a lot of power. And you know, this is you know, it's got a lot of power, but it handles really well. And it's no, it's 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 no, it's definitely a, a supercar. They are definitely going after, you know. The rest of supercar lineup and and everyone else is coming out with their uh, their hybrid supercars eventually. Okay. Um, the uh, oh, what was I say? oh, it's interesting, you know, that they've they've opted for that wide angle 120 degree V6, which is the same configuration that Ferrari's using on the new 296. Um, that that's also um, a 120 degree V6 with the, the turbos mounted in the V uh, above the engine so it keeps it relatively narrow. Yeah, uh, they have the same thing. They have that, yeah. that hot the hot V. And yeah. then uh, below the um, the cylinders are the the intake mount the intakes. So the intakes right. are right below the cylinder so they get those Oh, I forgot to say that the uh, the you know, the like the instead of using stamping which they did, they used aluminum stamping. They also essentially use aluminum uh, vacuum forming. 
in order to get the doors for the body. Like, for the body. And then so the panels on the door and the panel, the giant panel on the back of the car is actually vacuum formed aluminum. And so you can oh, get wow. these really nice, like pretty, uh, like far more intricate uh, designs using vacuum forming. So if you look at that door, it's super tight. It's got like a really, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, they don't, you know, McLaren's run by just a bunch of engineers. <laughs> it's just a bunch of race car nerds. And uh, whenever you get in one, you know, they're, you're going to, you know, you're going to notice it. It's, it's, it's definitely like the number one thing is making sure the drive, the car drives really well. And then there's like everything else, but everything is for that. That's why whenever you get in, you're like, oh, it's got an infotainment system. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> because that is definitely not, you know, it's one they, of those they, things that customers expect, but you know, they're not necessarily going to uh, to use in a car like this. Yeah, you're not going to see like MBUX level infotainment right. system. No, no hyperscreens. No hyperscreen. It's eight inches. It it's essentially looks like a little. It looks like somebody just slapped an Android tablet yeah. onto the onto the the middle of the dash. The the dash cluster though is super nice. It's really bright. It's got a high contrast. It's got like no. It's it's super crisp. It's like one of the nicest uh, dash clusters out there. And it's mounted directly to the steering column. So no matter where you put the steering wheel, you also oh, everything like, like yeah. the Porsche 928s. Yeah, yeah. So I'm 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 a big fan of those just because I'm tall. So sometimes if I have the wheel down, I can't see the top of the steering wheel. And you know, for cars that have um, in-car monitoring, some of them have in-car monitoring in the dash cluster at the very top. So suddenly the car's like, "Hey, you need to move your steering wheel." I'm like, yeah. "Oh, geez." Um, all right, cool. McLaren Artura. Uh, we'll definitely be uh, putting in an order for one of those. I think. Yeah, well, you know what? We'll get Nicole. We'll all put our money in, and we'll spend, like, <laughs> we'll each get it for between, a month. It's, but yeah, we'll just rotate it around. Between, between the three of us, we should be able to swing it, I think. Yeah. All right. Um, I had something that was um, not quite as um, energetic, say, as the Artura. Uh, I had the uh, Toyota RAV4 Adventure all-wheel drive. Um, but it's, it's got an adventure in the name. Yeah, it does. Um, and it's a RAV4, uh, which, <laughs> you know, for the, the past several years, uh, since, you know, ever, ever since crossovers moved uh, beyond midsize sedans as the most popular segment in the U.S. market besides trucks, the, um, the RAV4 has been the top selling vehicle for Toyota in, in North America. Uh, and they, <clears throat> prior to the um, pandemic um, and, and then the supply chain shortage uh, last year and this year, they were selling over 400,000 RAV4s a year, um, uh, including more than a quarter of those being hybrids. Um, hi the hybrid RAV4 is actually the best-selling uh, Toyota hybrid now. Um, the Adventure that I drove was not a hybrid. Um, Ooh, oh, yeah. sorry. <laughs> it had just the base 2.5 liter four cylinder, um, 203 horsepower, eight speed automatic transmission. So good, good there. No, no CVT in this one. Uh, had a nice eight speed, which was which is definitely better. Um, and uh, it has uh, dynamic torque vectoring, all wheel drive, uh, which is part of the adventure package, uh, which sent you know uses the brakes to uh, send send the torque around. Hopefully, where it'll do the most good to whichever wheels were. Where it's most needed, um, you know, it's it's not exciting, uh, but you know, if you need 
uh, solid transportation for you know four or five people uh, that will probably run for you know a million miles as long as you do your do your regular oil changes and tire rotations and stuff. Um, you know this is this is good. You know it's pretty basic. Um, you know it does have adaptive cruise control and uh, lane centering assist, uh, blind spot monitoring. Um, <clears throat> it ha- the uh, the the one that I had had uh, an option package on there that includes uh, that bumps the the seven inch center touchscreen to a nine inch touchscreen. Oh snap! Um, has uh, a lot. So hey, it's got more screen than the uh, McLaren does for a fraction of the price. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> you got a whole extra inch of screen for you know, and you save a ton of money getting it. So if you want, you know, more screen than you get in a McLaren Artura, the RAV4 is for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's the the engine, the powertrain is, especially, you know, in the non-hybrid, um, is, you know, it's fine. It's it's not particularly refined. You know, it's it can be a little noisy sometimes. Uh, it's smooth enough. It just, you know, makes noises that, you know, aren't necessarily... Uh, enticing or um, pleasant. Um, <laughs> it's not, you know, I, I've I've been in worse, um, you know, but it's. I've it, been in worse, which is it's, everyone. It's fine, uh, but the the vehicle itself is solid. The ride the ride quality is good. It's comfortable. You know, it handles Michigan pavement, uh, you know, such as it is, uh, with relative ease. Um, you know, it's it's got all the. It's got all the features that you want, you know, in in a modern, you know, standard vehicle. Um, it's got uh, cameras all around. Uh, <clears throat> uh, what is it? It's got something. It lists here on the Monroni, two hundred uh, two hundred and sixty nine dollars for a dropship indicator, whatever that means. Uh, oh no, what? actually, that no, that's part. Sorry, that's part of this other package with the uh, the two tone. Roof it so this was a pale green with a black roof, uh, and dropship indicators included in that. And I don't know what that means. Um, I'm gonna look that up while you're talking. It's not (laughs) not like they're you know picking this up from you know factory in China and drop shipping it to you, so I'm not really sure what what that's referring to. Uh, it does have roof racks, uh, roof rails, uh, so you can you know tie stuff to the roof uh, for road trip and you know really add extra lots of extra drag. Um, and, uh, and reduce your fuel economy. And the fuel economy, you know, it's rated at 28 miles per gallon combined, uh, EPA rated, uh, so 25 city, 33 highway. Um, I did quite a bit of highway driving with it, and, only, and, you know, wasn't beating this thing up, and it only averaged about 26, which was not that impressive. Not that impressive. Mm. Um, you know, I think... If I was buying a RAV4, I would probably be inclined to get a hybrid rather than this. The just adventure the, package. Just get the Prime. Yeah. Prime yeah. it up. If well, you're going to do it, just go for it, man. Especially for the price of this one. Um, you know, grand total on this one came to $39,356, which, you know, seems kind of high for what you're getting here. Uh, yeah. you know, it, it doesn't. It doesn't feel particularly premium like a forty thousand dollar car should. Um, you know the base price on the Adventure is thirty three seven, um, and 
you know, it's it's not like it, you know, the adventure, you know, it's got black alloy wheels um, and those roof rails, you know, so it looks slightly more adventurous, but you know, it's not doesn't really have the functionality, you know, it's not going to compete with something like a Bronco Sport and its off-road capability. Um, so, you know, I would probably go with a, a different trim level, like, you know, like a hybrid, uh, hybrid XLE or a hybrid LE, uh, or, you know, or the prime, you know, the prime, uh, the prime is, uh, just over 40 grand, I think. Yeah. 41, uh, 590. Yeah. So, you know, for that kind of money, you know, if you're going to spend nearly 40 grand anyway, get the prime, get that 40 miles of electric driving range. And I think you'll be a lot happier with this because, you know, most of the time, the vast majority of the driving you're doing, the engine's not going to be running anyway. Um, and so you're not going to hear the, the, the kind of, you know, coarse tone of the engine. Um, and uh, you'll get a lot better efficiency. And, you know, it'll, your operating costs will be a lot lower as long as you plug it in every night. Um, so the, uh, the, you know, the RAV4 Prime or the RAV4 Adventure, uh, almost 40 grand. You want to take a guess at the delivery charge? Oh, oh, oh. Thirteen hundred. Twelve fifteen. Oh, I'm pretty close. And uh, you know, this one was built in. Uh, I feel like I still Ontario. win. I'm, I'm the only one here. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so this this one this one's, this one's built in Canada. Uh, they also build Rav fours, uh, I think, in Indiana uh, as well. And then the primes come from Japan. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's a solid, you know, compact crossover. Uh, you know competes against the likes of the crv and the escape and the hyundai tucson uh but like i said i i don't think i would opt for this particular configuration yeah i i, I tell people to get the prime all the time <laughs> they're yeah. like well i need to do it i'm like just get the prime because they, they they want an suv everyone wants an suv um they want you know and, and value wise you know crv rav4 I'm like, just get one of those. Get a hybrid of one of those. You're gonna be fine. You're gonna be a happy camper. Yeah, and you know when I've had the hybrid uh, Tucson or the hybrid uh, Rav fours, I've always gotten around 40 miles per gallon with them. You know, yeah. so it's gonna cost you a lot less for gas with one of the hybrids, and even less if you get the Prime. Yeah, and you you know most of the time you're just cruising around town, doing your errands, maybe heading head into where 40 was it 40 miles now? What's the yeah? Um, it's 40. Last something. time I had the Prime. I ran it on my test loop and got uh, forty, uh, almost forty-three miles on it last time. Yeah, forty-two miles according to the EPA. So forty-three, yeah. So it's even in you know it's the real world too. It's you yeah. over forty miles. Man, just just get that. You're not you're not you're not doing adventure stuff in a in a Rav Four. Yeah. <laughs> There's two types of adventure. There's people who are like, oh, you know what? I have a lot of snow. I have like real like off dirt roads i have to deal with but those are subaru owners they're like yeah. the the sort of like okay i really like logical and then there's i'm gonna go do all these crazy things and they never do and those are bronco and jeep owners. yeah and they're okay and if you were one of those bronco or jeep owners who actually are or are, are, who actually goes off-road and does it you you know i applaud you because you are the you are the reason those cars are built but if you're you know whatever i mean i never take my brz to a track <laughs> yeah uh so that's the that's the rav4 um get the get the basic one don't get the adventure um or or step up you know and you get if you're gonna spend that money get the prime instead yeah throw a battery in there rav4 better with a battery that's that's what that's what that should be the tagline (laughs) rav4 better with a battery yeah 
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. All right. Um, This week, I also had the opportunity to uh, meet up with a friend that owns a Tesla Model 3. And until, until about a week and a half, two weeks ago, uh, Tesla was requiring owners that wanted to get into the full self-driving beta program to get a score. Uh, they, they have a safety score that the car calculates based on your, your driving patterns, based on how hard you accelerate and brake and, uh, and, and things like that. And um, to, in order to get into the beta program, you had to uh, have a score of at least, I think it was 97 or 98 um, on, out of 100. And... Um, this owner was not quite there. Let's put it that way. Let's leave, oh. leave it at that. Uh, but a couple of weeks ago, they decided, well, you know what? We got to book some extra revenue by the end of the quarter. Um, and so we're going to make FSD beta available to all the people who paid us fifteen grand, or somewhere between five dollars and $15,000 over the last five years uh, in, order to, uh, in order to get this uh, so we can book that revenue um, and, you know, get some profits this quarter because we might not get it otherwise. And so uh, no matter what your safety score is, you can now get the FSD beta. And uh, so I reached out to my friend and said, hey, um, love to give this a shot. You know, I've never had an opportunity to to try try this out. He said, yeah, come on over. And 
So we went for a drive. Um, let's just say um, my previous suspicions from watching videos of other people with FSD beta is that this software should not be on public streets in the hands of consumers. Um, it, it does basic things like keeping the car centered in the lane and even doing lane changes um, does that just fine. You know, but, I mean, Autopilot has done that fine for years. Yeah, and other systems I, like Super Cruise do it fine. Four, five, yeah, six, six it's years. Been, it's been over six it's years since while. they announced FSD. Yeah. 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 It was October 2016 when they announced it. And at that time, you know, it, I'll, I'll include a link to that conference call. But basically the first sentence out of Musk's mouth on that conference call is every Tesla we're building now. This was in October 2016. He said every Tesla we're building now has everything we need for full level five autonomy. And all we have to do is update the software. And level I, five means that it can operate without supervision, uh, without anybody in the vehicle. Um, without intervention, under all conditions. I was and at that event. It was like me and like just like maybe eight other people, and he just sort of appeared out of a side room, sort of disheveled. <laughs> and I was like, huh. also oh, normal, this normal look. Yeah, yeah. You're like, huh? This uh, this is kind of a big deal. And he just sort of like appeared and then disappeared back into a side door. And I'm like, all yeah. right. And then they let us drive the car. <laughs> so um, it's it's not capable of self driving. It's, you know, it's a decent driver assist system, um, but there are still <clears throat> way too many scenarios where um, it just has no idea what to do, you know, with, and this, you know, oftentimes, often, you know, includes, you know, you go to different cities, different, different regions, and you'll find different road configurations, you know, some places you'll find more roundabouts. Um, you know, other places, uh, you know, you have, you have different kinds of stuff, different ways that they set up the roads and the rules of the road. And here in Michigan, we have a phenomenon known as the Michigan left turn. And so on some major thoroughfares like Woodward Avenue and Telegraph Road in, in the Detroit area or Jackson Road in Ann Arbor, um, you know, these are wide roads, typically, you know, three, three lanes in each direction with a center median and in order to improve traffic flow and safety, instead of allowing left turns off of these roads, you know, at, at various intersections, direct left turns, what they force you to do is kind of drive just past the road that you want to turn on. And there will be a cutout in that center median. And so basically another left turn lane where you can do a U-turn. And so typically, you know, you would go, you know, 50 or 100 yards past the intersection go into this left turn lane, do a U-turn, come back and, and make a right turn onto that road instead of doing a left. And um, the when we tried this on Woodward Avenue um, at several locations, uh, the car would get over to the, the main left lane, slow down as it approached this turn lane, and then... It's like it had, I don't know what to do with this. And so it would speed up and go on to the next one. And, it would, and then it would come up on another one, you know, another quarter mile or half a mile down the road. Like, I don't know what to do with this. And it would just keep going until it finally got to a spot where there was just a normal place where it would make a normal left turn. And then it, it made the left turn, looped through a neighborhood, and finally came back to, to Woodward Avenue. Um, 
Yeah, and and this was just one of the things. Another thing that I didn't see, but but that uh, the owner told me about was he was in downtown Detroit near Huntington Place Convention Center, and on Jefferson Avenue, uh, you know, this is the former the facility formerly known as Cobo Center, and if you're heading uh, west on Jefferson towards the convention center, as you approach the convention convention center, uh, about a block away, the road actually splits. And the two, uh, so it's four lanes, and the two right lanes, or sorry, it's three lanes. The, the, the center lane splits. The right lanes go straight ahead until you get to the convention center. Then you have to turn right onto Washington Avenue. The, the, the lanes on the left go down through a tunnel underneath the convention center and come up on the Lodge Freeway. And uh, he, he said that the first time he tried it, uh, he was approaching, he was in the center lane approaching this, and it went to the right. And it thought it was, you know, I guess it thought it was going through the tunnel and just went straight and didn't even start to slow down as it was actually approaching the building, approaching the convention center. He had to intervene <laughs> and hit the brakes. All right. I know exactly where that's at. That took me a second yeah. to, like, figure it to, 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 in my brain. Yeah, you just, like, slam right straight into the convention center. <laughs> yeah. The next time, yeah, it's like it was trying to emulate back in the early 90s when they when they launched <laughs> the, uh, the original Jeep Grand Cherokee and drove it through the, the glass doors of the convention center. You know, it's like it wanted to drive up the, the steps through the glass doors. The next time, he, he, so from there, he looped back around, tried it again. The next time, it went left. You know, it was in the same lane. He went left and went down the, through the tunnel. And then he looped it again, came back around again. The third time, it went, did the first thing. It went to the right again. So the, one of the fundamental problems with a system, or one of the fundamental things you, you have to do with a system like this, or any driver assist system, and I learned this back in the early 90s when I was working on ABS, one of, you know, my... My boss at the time, we were evaluating a system I was working on. And you know, so the, the thing you really have to do with any system like this is whether it's behaving perfectly or not, what's more important is that it behaves consistently. It's got to be predictable for the driver. Yeah. So I'm, no matter I'm, what, you know, you get into any given situation, the driver has to know how the system is going to respond. Um, and... You know, in this case here, it was unpredictable. And there were a lot of scenarios where it was very unpredictable, where sometimes it would work, sometimes it wouldn't. Uh, and it's just, it's just not ready uh, for, to be used by the public. Um, you know, they, they, need to, they need to stop this beta testing with the public. This is not the way to do it because no. it's dangerous. In fact, so much so that the owner of the car... After a couple of days, he went out and got a student driver sticker and put it on the back of uh, on the on the, the, the trunk lid because um, you know it was so you know it it did a lot of things like you know like a, a sixteen year old you know just learning how to drive would do you know randomly hitting the brakes and and doing all kinds of other things yeah. and rather than get rear ended you know he wanted to provide a warning to anybody following him that hey this car might do something weird. Uh, so he put a student driver sticker on there. It's it's. I'm, I'm, I've been in Teslas and, you know, at the time this is like three four years ago, it was the best ADAS system on the road, but also the one with the most where I was most likely to have something weird happen. Like almost every Tesla I've ever been in, something just weird happens when ADAS is in, when when the driver's assistant system is on. Like it's 
phantom breaking, like just weirdness, like just weird thing. And that's what happens when you kind of turn everything up to 11, which is what Tesla essentially did when they first launched uh, um, Autopilot. They just took a system and they just turned it all the way up. Yeah. And so we're like, hey, look what we've done. And, and, and you know, all the other automakers are like, you just turned up the Bosch system to 11. You didn't yeah. really do anything. <laughs> you just, like, sort of removed some of the, you know, it's, it's, yeah. So, you know, now they have their own system. And they continually, you know, removing uh, sensors in order to save money. Um, and that's really the reason why you're doing it. Is You know, you're trying to get as much... <sighs> get as much profit out of every vehicle as possible and that's the thing and 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 you know they they've come up with this idea where if they put all the hardware on every tesla and then they just hope that you turn it on and you pay for it you know that's that's sort of the and, and that helps that you know it reduces complexity in manufacturing which especially when they were brand new you know you want you don't want like five different time types of model three going down the line if you got two types of model three they all have all the hardware and one has one battery pack and the other has another that, you know, that's that, you know, but you can sell it as five different models or whatever. That's, you know, that's going to save you money, but you're also losing money if people aren't turning those, uh, you know, aren't turning on the software packages that you're selling. And I think at some point they're like, well, we're not selling enough of these FSD. So they just kept raising the price to, to like, was it $15,000 it's, yeah, it's 15 grand now. $15,000. You could buy a nice used car for $15,000. <laughs> or you can subscribe uh, for $200 a month. Or you can $200 a month is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. That's that's I, I <laughs> That's a that's, that's another that's, that's, that's more than a lot of people can afford for a car payment. Yeah, and so you you know you're paying a lot of money for a system on a car where they just keep pulling sensors off and you're just like, well, I understand financially why they're doing this but you know like you said consistency one of the things about when you ride a motorcycle um you want people to do the thing that you think they're going to do and sometimes people will see someone ride a motorcycle and they'll try to be helpful in some way don't don't just do what you were going to do if it's your turn at the light go if it's your turn at the stop sign go don't don't try to like oh let me just let you go because it's uh, the motorcyclists do not like that i had a friend he would just turn his motorcycle off the person refused to go yeah. When it was their turn. He's like he's like because when you when you when you introduce like these inconsistencies on the road or you know, behind the wheel, like it 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 just makes things really complicated. Just do the thing you're supposed to do when you're behind the wheel and the car should just do the thing that everyone expects it to do when it's driving and when it's like sort of all over the place, it, you can't trust it. And you know, I talked to a guy on the plane coming back from I don't know, wherever, some country, and um he has a model S. And he he has a plaid, and he he's like I the, he's like yeah the, the 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 driver assistance is not great, and his wife refuses she won't even turn it on she absolutely hates that car just because of that because he's like it's all over the place he's like spent all this money on this system that doesn't really work that great yeah and so you know outside of you know there you know, I'm sure there's people who use it and they absolutely love it and they're like it's the best thing ever but a lot of the people who are on Twitter who would use it and love it either a are sycophants or b they have uh, a vested interest in Tesla, which is, means they have a lot of money invested in Tesla, which, you know, if you put a lot of money into a company, you want that company to do well. And if you can, you know, argue that that company should be, you know, is doing well on Twitter, then you might as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and to be fair, you know, Tesla is not the only one of late, you know, that has had challenges with some of this inconsistent behavior. I mean, I've complained about 
uh, Ford's Blue Cruise, um, you know, and the biggest complaint I have with Blue Cruise, well, one of one of the major complaints I have with Blue Cruise is also inconsistent behavior. You know, you're driving down a highway, and you know you're approaching a curve, uh, and this is one that hopefully the new update of, of Blue Cruise will address. But you know, as you approach a curve, in many many instances, it'll tell you to put your hands back on the wheel because it it doesn't it so far at least it hasn't had predictive speed control where it uses the map to judge the radius of that curve and slow the truck down as you approach that curve, um, you know, and then speed back up the way GM's Super Super Cruise does. Yeah, Blue Cruise didn't do that, and so you're constantly having to um, you know be wary of when. Uh, you know when you have to put your hands back on the wheel and take retake control, um, and especially with you know uh, a less than ideal uh, user interface for it in terms of knowing you know when you need to take control, um, it, it that inconsistency is one of my one of my big complaints with it. That yeah. you know, and speaking of the interface, that's another problem with with the Tesla, especially in the Model Three and the Model Y. Less so in the S and X because they actually have an instrument cluster in front of the driveway, in front of the driver where it belongs. You know, on the S and the X, you just have some small icon, or on the Y and the three, you just have some small icons in the upper left-hand corner of the center screen, and you know to let you know when it's engaged or when you need to take control back. You know, and given that they tell you that you have to keep your hands on the wheel and eyes on the road when you're using the system, you know. The fact that you have to look over away from the road, over and down at the screen, to see you know what mode it's in, and you know whether you need to, you know, be in full control or or just let it do its thing, um, I think is also a bad user interface design. And I I would have less of an issue with Tesla have using just the center screen if they would at least offer a heads up display, you know, so you could put that yeah. information in the heads up display. But they don't even offer a heads up display on any of their models. Which I think is is also problematic. Yeah, it's it's mode confusion. Which if yeah. you don't know what mode you're in, you're just driving and you're like, oh, the car's going to slow down, and then it doesn't. Right. <laughs> because you don't know what mode you're in. Now that that's that's a huge. I mean, that's why I, I remember when the cat when they showed off the Cadillac with Super Cruise the first time. It had those little lights in the steer, the little light mm-hmm. at the top of the steering wheel, and everyone was like, oh my god, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And then you drove, and then I drove it like however many months later i was like oh this is awesome this is the yeah, greatest thing no i've ever confusion. seen you know yeah, exactly what mode it's in if it's if it's green you're good to go hands free if it's red you got to put your hands on the wheel and blue it's it's ready to go when whenever whenever you want to take your hands off yeah um, it's 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 i mean this whole thing is like super difficult and i think everyone thought it was going to be a lot easier than it was and like we're 90 percent there and they're like yeah but that last 10 percent is you know, I'm 90% there to being a good guitarist because I know how to tune a guitar. I'm not a good guitarist. <laughs> <laughs> that last 10% is, uh, that's the, to be the Eddie Van Halen of guitar. That's, that's you know, decades and decades of work. Yep. All right. Um, next up, uh, GM this week um, talked, made an announcement about their uh, dealer community charging program. They actually first announced this last year. Um, and it's a program where they're encouraging their dealers to sign up, especially dealers in rural areas, um, you know, away from major cities where there typically isn't a lot of public charging infrastructure. And what GM is doing is for dealers that sign up, um, they will supply them with up to 10 19 kilowatt uh, level two chargers uh, that can be installed around the community. So it's not for chargers at the dealerships, 
but um, for, to put them in other locations around the community. And so the dealers work with uh, site owners and, and GM participates in this as well. And GM provides the chargers. Um, and then, you know, depending on where you are, you know, in some cases, uh, you know, with, in partnership with the site owners and the dealers, sometimes the charging will be free. Sometimes they may charge for it. There's still, you know, that, that will vary depending on the location, just as it does for a lot of other level two public charging, um, like, like you know, a lot of the charge point chargers, blink and so on. Um, sometimes it's free. Sometimes you got to have to pay a, a fee. Um, and they've got the first of those installed now. Um, the first ones, uh, were with a dealer in central Wisconsin, Northwest of, uh, of Madison. Um, they've put some chargers in there, some 19 kilowatt chargers. And, you know, so 19 kilowatts is pretty fast. Um, you know, so, something yeah, like a Chevy that's... bolt, uh, you know, you can charge it up in about, uh, uh, about four hours, uh, three or four, three and a half, four hours at a 19 kilowatt charger. Um, and, uh, uh, and then, you know, they, uh, like I said, GM is, will provide up to 10 chargers and about a thousand, over a thousand of their dealers of their 4,000 dealers have signed up for this program. Uh, the, they also have some installed, um, in a town called Owasso near Flint. Um, and there's a lot more coming over the next several months. Um, so that's their uh, dealer community charging program. I mean, it's a you get. It's going to help the dealers sell the cars because mm-hmm. you know the infrastructure is the big you know. And I, I know we always talk about you know range range anxiety. It's really charging anxiety. People are just like, what do I charge? What do I you know? Um, you know, nineteen kilowatts. That's that's a that's that's pretty fast for an AC. It's pretty charger. quick. Yeah, you throw that. At, you know, and there are when I was. Uh, re- in the early days of EVs, back when I was reviewing them in, in San Francisco where there's like zero chargers, like I was like, well, I guess I'm going to just going to go do some shopping at Walgreens because that was the only place I could get a yeah. <laughs> charging station. And so what happens is you're driving around, you're like, oh, you know, I need to charge my car. Oh, this, this, this supermarket has a chargers and this one doesn't. Well, why don't I just go to this supermarket? Because, you know, I can charge while I'm, I'm buying, you know, my groceries for the week. And, you know, this mall has charging, but this mall doesn't. And malls are essentially the same. You, you either want, uh, you know, whatever pretzel, you know, both the pretzel uh, places and, you know, it was Aunt Andy's. It's your pretzels and, and your Cinnabons and your... Yeah, your Wetzel's pretzels, <laughs> your Aunt Andy's, they're essentially the same pretzel. Yeah. And so it doesn't matter what mall you go to. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, this helps and it, you know, they, it gives the, you know, the dealership gets, you know, to feel warm and cuddly for helping their their uh, their community. The people who are looking for EVs feel better because they can see chargers out in their community. Um, and, and of course, GM gets to put out this press release. But you know, we it's, you just you know we went to, I went to Norway a few years ago to drive the uh, I don't know some Mercedes SUV that was supposed to come here the EV the, the EQ, uh, EQC EQC that never ended up not coming here. But just driving around Norway, you're like there's chargers every they're all along the street they're just everywhere and I'm like this is kind of what everything needs to be. Mm-hmm. Because you're just like, oh, you just pull up at a spot and you just plug in your charger and then you go on your way. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think we're going to see a, a lot more of that sort of, hopefully, in especially in, in cities and stuff. But like out in the middle of nowhere, again, I think I was talking to you before a podcast. There's like three EA stations within five miles of my house. I live in Northern <laughs> California. It's yeah. I don't. Yeah, it's fine. We're fine. <laughs> There's, I have to go check to see the EV Go station. They they put in some new ones at the between. That's between me and one of the uh, EA stations. That's two miles from my house. 
<laughs> so a mile away is an EV go, and then an extra mile is like an EA station. So I'm doing okay. But meanwhile, in, you know, in, in other parts of the country, not so much. And so this this really helps. Well, my local EA station down the street here, um, they just finished installing uh, brand new chargers there. They ripped out the old ones that were so problematic. And uh, five of the six chargers, they left the one that had a Chatamo connector on it. But the other five chargers have all been replaced with brand fancy new chargers. Um, yeah, but they haven't been turned on yet. So hopefully uh, next time I have a, a plug-in, an EV to charge, uh, to try to drive, then uh, those things will be turned on. And I can go see if they actually work. Cool. Yeah, the ones near my house are relatively new, so they haven't. I keep looking because I want to see the new chargers. I think I saw. <clears throat> I think I saw somewhere they were like working on them, but yeah, near my house. Let's see. There's one there. There's one there. There's one there. There's one there. <laughs> I just pulled up a map. I mean, they're not everywhere. There's within. I don't know, like a 30 mile radius is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They're in the, on the other side of the bridge. Yeah, there's like seven EAs. Oh, well, eight, actually. There's eight EA chargers near my house, so I'm okay. And that's not counting EVgo and then the course charge mm-hmm. point, which is usually a little bit lower, but they've been putting out um, high-speed DC fast chargers, too. So Yeah, well, the, the it's gas getting there. Here that just put in a couple of DC of charge point DC chargers uh, this summer. Oh, uh, cool! Used one of those, yeah. They're only 150 kilowatt, but that's you know that's fine still, for people. Yeah, yeah. There, there. So there was a Valero up the street from my house that I would walk to every day, and I met, I became friends with the uh, lady, especially during COVID, because it was the, like I'm just gonna walk to the store. Um, they shut down to become a 7-Eleven, and everything in there was 7-Eleven branded. It just wasn't mm-hmm. 7-Eleven brand. So like, oh, they're gonna re, they're they're, they're like, oh, we're shut, we're remodeling the store, and I'm like, well, how long is that gonna take? They're like a year, and I'm like, a year. And then they just demolished the store and then rebuilt another building like 30 feet over. But I keep driving by. They have a fence around it. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hoping, because it's a gas station, I'm kind of hoping that they also put a charging station. I mean, it's, I have charging at home. But, I, you know, every time I see something new, especially with gasoline, I'm like, just throw some charging in there. Put yeah, like, I'm, a coffee I'm machine actually in. surprised. There's, there's a, a brand new gas station that just opened up a couple months ago nearby here. Um, where There used to be a gas station that closed like uh, 15 years, 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And they demolished it and tore out the old tanks. And they just built a brand new gas station there. And I'm really surprised. And with a convenience, nice convenience store and everything, I'm surprised they didn't put any chargers in there. It's, you know, throw some chargers in, put a little yeah. tables outside, and you're going to have people just hanging out at your gas station, buying a lot more stuff, which is how you're making money anyway. At I, least, I at least in the warm weather months. Uh, I don't. I don't think people are going to hang out at those tables in the wintertime here. Yeah, I live in California. <laughs> well, it's what's the, it's like thirty something degrees outside, but that's, we don't care. We're just like oh, whatever. <laughs> um, all right. Um, are you uh, excited for an Apple car? You planning to get an Apple car? So uh, the Apple car. I used to be the online editor, so I ran the website for all the news um, for a Mac site for Mac Life which used to be Mac Attic as part of the future publishing. I was, you know, I started, well, I didn't start my technology, my, my journalism career, but, you know, part, a big part of my, my journalism career was in tech, and a big part of that was covering Apple. After that, I covered Apple for, like, Gizmodo, and I covered Apple for Wired, I covered Apple for Inget. I covered Apple for a long time. And this damn Apple car has been around, like, almost the entire time. It's either the rumors or just, like, wishes... And I've even wrote it. I even wrote an article at Engadget. I'm like, you know, if Apple wants to do a car, they can. 
they you know they have the money they have mm-hmm. you know but what they want to do you know just make an autonomous car like why who cares it's you know it's it's okay a and I'm autonomous, just a pure, like, level 5 autonomous car for someone to buy. No one's going to buy that because you can just have a taxi come to your house. B, if they do make one that is a taxi, you know, I was talking to to the CTO of Mercedes. And, like, are you, and I asked about taxis. He's like, are you going to wait five minutes longer for a Mercedes-branded taxi? Like, elect- no. He's like, why would you do that? He's like, there's no reason for that. And plus they sell – most of Europe is, is littered with Mercedes-brand, you know, Mercedes taxis. So I don't, I don't know if they can just make a car. I, I mean, you know, it says they're they're pulling back on their, they're they're making it level five, which means it has no wheels. It has, you know, not no wheel. <laughs> Doesn't have no a steering, steering wheel, wheel or pedals. No, no steering wheel or pedal. They're you know level four, which is steering wheel or pedal, and then, you know, autonomous when you want it, and then level three obviously is that's you know autonomous in very select areas, like which 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 what is what Mercedes is trying to launch right now. But I don't. I mean, sure. <laughs> you know, back in 2015, when it first, you know, the the news about Project Titan, which is Apple's car program, first leaked out, I wrote a series of articles, you know, on my personal blog back at the time, and I'll include a link to that. Um, you know, on, on why I didn't think that Apple would ever actually build a car. You know, uh, first off, you know. The profit margins in the auto industry are peanuts compared super to what Apple likes. They're slim. Like, Apple makes bazillions of dollars. A- Why Apple's, would they? Apple's a company that likes, you know, 35 to 40% profit margins. Exactly. Nobody in the auto industry makes 35 to 40% no. profit margins. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, you know, you also have the, the problem of how do you actually sell them? You know, um, you know, Apple's not a company that is likely to embrace franchise dealers. No. Um, yeah. Then you know you have challenges with the direct the direct consumer model like Tesla and, and Rivian and others do. You know because you still have to have some service locations and you know you have somewhere to, to deliver the cars. Um, and you know it would also limit where they could do it if they wanted to do direct to consumer. And I actually did speculate that you know if they were if they were going to do something. That the way for them to do it would be to do a premium robo taxi service, have because the you know the other thing that t- that Apple doesn't like is they don't like people messing with their their stuff. They don't <laughs> like them modifying their stuff. Even if you even if you buy it, you know, if you you buy an iPhone, you buy a Mac, you know, Apple does not like you making modifications to that stuff. Um, and so what they, you know, what I what I speculated that they would probably do is do. Um, you know, a robo taxi that they retain ownership of. That way, they don't have to mess with dealers. They don't have to, um, you know, mess with with distribution. They can l- limit where they're deployed to markets where there is a significant affluent, you know, consumer audience Rich that people. would be willing to pay a premium price for that. Um, and you know, maybe do it as a subscription instead. You know, so you could get rides anytime you need things like that um and you know they retain control you know and it never never gets modified um you know, they have struggled apparently to develop an automated driving system I mean, as much as i don't like the uh, uh the driver intervention data that california requires 
um, autonomous companies to submit every year. You know, if you look at that data from Apple versus everyone else, their numbers are pretty bad in terms of, you know, number of miles between interventions. Um, you know, I mean, Apple's got a lot of interesting technology that could benefit them in developing automated systems. You know, their, their, their Apple Silicon chips are incredibly powerful. You know, it would be, you know, great, a great platform for them to use. You know, <clears throat> they've done a lot of interesting stuff with sensors. But, you know, now the latest report out of Bloomberg uh, is that they, the, the whole program has been pushed back to at least 2026. And they've largely given up on the idea of doing a robo-taxi or a completely self-driving vehicle. And, um, you know, it's going to be a more conventional electric vehicle with a price starting at, at a minimum of $100,000. <sighs> Which we have enough $100,000 yeah. to be honest. I mean, I understand. I mean, if, 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 the, if the goal is, the, the, you know, the, the sort of Tesla model or really even the Mercedes model, which is like you put all the tech in the most expensive vehicle and then you wait for it to work its way down. The, you know, you, make, you keep introducing cheaper and cheaper models with the tech that you showed off three years ago in a more expensive model. That's great. And if, if Apple can do that, if Apple can come out in by, the, by 2030 with a, you know, a $25,000 EV, awesome. That's great. Good, you know. I'll be very happy. Um, but it's yeah, like you said, like the profit margins are, are sort of like not great. Uh, it's becoming a, an increasingly crowded market. I mean, Tesla's feeling the squeeze. Um, you can just look at their China, what they're doing in China, and you know, even here, and their you know their their stocks are kind of being punished for that. Um, and so it's 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 a, it's it's a sort of a thing. They have just momentum. I think. I think it's just inertia. <laughs> Within Apple, that we're gonna do this thing, and like, there's like, there's been like 50 executives that have worked on it over the years, mm -hmm. like automotive executives that have sort of come and gone. And I think they just, I think they show up and they're like, oh, we're gonna do this great thing. I'm working with Apple, and then they're like, we were, we would have already shown this off at the auto show if I had been working at GM or Toyota or whatever. So, I think, I I think if Apple really wants to do this, what they should do is just buy Lucid. Yeah, yeah, no, and yeah. that would, yeah, that's that's. They, they already have a factory. They're up and running. They've got product, um, really good product. Uh, yeah, just buy Lucid, you know, and that's that's the kind of product that would fit within the Apple ecosystem. Yeah, and and it's full of Apple employees. Yeah, <laughs> they're you know the CTO or not the 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 main like uh, engineer like the. The software is like a bunch of Apple employees when they when they did the recent upgrade. Yeah, Mike, to Mike their, Bell. Yeah, Mike Bell, super nice guy. Um, uh, you know, big nerd. So we 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 hit it off great. <laughs> but, but you know, he's just like you know, I worked at Apple. We know how to ship software, and that's that's really and that's Apple. You know, software is you know that's what's having problems. You know, Volkswagen has problems with software. Everyone has problems with software. Um, Lucid had problems with software, and then they got Mike Bell in there and a bunch of ex-Apple employees, and then they rewrote the code. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it you know if you if buy something, um, maybe implement some of your stuff into it, um, and then hopefully you know bring the price down to to. I mean, really, I mean, again, we we have enough we have enough expensive EVs. I mean, I like driving them, but the rest of us need electric cars. Yeah. Speaking of which, um, IHS, the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, they do uh, a lot of crash testing of vehicles. Um, they have uh, they have their own crash test facility, uh, and they do the the top safety picks every year. Um, they were a little concerned uh, 
uh, as to whether their uh, their crash test facilities would hold up with some of the very heavy new EVs that are coming to market. And they specifically were wondering, you know, could could this facility um, withstand uh, a 9,500-pound EV? Um, and, uh, gee, who makes a 9,500-pound EV? Oh, yeah, GM, the uh, the Hummer EV. <laughs> Listen, it, it's it's a moonshot. Um, they got a lot of moon, like, iconography inside the car. It's really to be driven on the moon, where it's only, like, 6,500 pounds. Yeah. So they uh, they took an old F-150, and they loaded it up with concrete blocks and steel plates um, you know, to bring it up to 9,500 pounds. And they, they did a crash test with it to see if, if they're uh, – because you know, the, the way the, the crash test facilities work, uh, they basically have a, a cable buried in the floor, and they hook it up to the bottom of the vehicle, and they accelerate it down, uh, you know, down a long runway uh, to get it up to the, the, the test speed. Um, and then, and then let it go as it hits the, uh, just as it hits the barrier. And so they accelerated it up to 40 miles an hour. It had no, fortunately it had no problem at all handling a 9,500 pound, uh, F-150, uh, which is about twice its normal weight. Um, and, uh, uh, so they're, they're looking forward to, uh, finally testing some of these big, uh, these big EVs, uh, in the not too distant future. Yeah, no, it'll, it'll. That's a, they're heavy. <laughs> yeah, that's the you know. And so you know, you, you, it's you know, we're we're trading one issue for another, and, and you know, and, and you know, people are like, oh well, they're you know, they're heavy and they're they're bad on the roads. I'm like, well, yeah, so are big trucks and other things that are on the roads. And so there's, I don't know. It's, it's yeah, I, I actually I'm, saw a carrier the other day with uh, uh, with a couple of Hummers on it, and you know, those things are so heavy that they only carry two at a time. They're just so they're heavy. They're they're it's, it's a big it's a Hummer. I know mm-hmm. we can we can sit there and make fun of it being like just out you know ridiculous. It, it, you know what? It's it's always been ridiculous. It's you know Arnold Schwarzenegger wanted a Hummer <laughs> one day, and that's where this all started. It's all Arnold's fault. He was a big environmentalist, and you know he was like the like the he was a Republican governor of California, but the Republican governor of California is essentially like a Democrat everywhere else in the country. So yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, go, go watch the, 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 the sort of the, the video of this, of this car. Cause it's just like all the, it just shows you just like all the insanity of the weight as it just sort of flies through the, <laughs> through the cabin. Yeah. And it's, and, you know, this is not indicative of what happened with an EV because the, the batteries are at the bottom, blah, blah, blah. But it's still, I don't know. It's just sort of, you know, crash videos and crash are, are the funnest things ever to watch. Yeah. There's some, there's some wild ones out there. Um, one, uh, one of the, one of my favorite ones <clears throat> was, uh, I don't know, about 10, 15 years ago, Mercedes, uh, did a, a crash test, a two car crash test with, uh, an E-class and a smart, uh, and, you know, did a small offset, um, head on crash test with, uh, with a smart and an E-class and, uh, you know, cause they're wondering, you know, how, how do the, how do these two very different cars interact with each other? And it turned out that the, you know, even though the smart, you know, doesn't have much in the way of crush zones, it's so small and light that it basically just bounces off the E-class and goes flying off to the side. There was, there was a video of a ramming a smart 70 miles an hour into a, a concrete barrier. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, like, you could still open and close the doors. Like, that's yeah. how, like, it was sort of, like, I remember people like, oh, they're not very safe. I'm like, I want you to go watch this video. 
because that's just that's the engineering that went into that little that little thing. Um, I mean, but it's you know, it doesn't help you when you're driving around in a smart and everyone's driving around in Tahoes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, finally, uh, Polestar and Mercedes in the last couple of weeks have both announced um, power-up options for their EVs, uh, where you can uh, pay a little extra money and get some extra performance. A few weeks back, I talked about the uh, the Polestar 2 performance that I was driving, which had an extra 68 horsepower compared to the standard dual-motor Polestar. Well, now, if you, if you buy the standard dual-motor Polestar, you can get that extra 68 horsepower for... I believe it's about sixteen hundred bucks. Uh, um, twelve hundred. Twelve twelve hundred. Okay, so twelve hundred bucks, and yeah, eleven ninety five. So, um, fortunately, in the case of Polestar, uh, it's a one time payment. Uh, you pay pay the twelve hundred bucks, you get the extra sixty eight horsepower. Mercedes is doing it a little bit differently. They're making it an annual fee. To get the extra power on the EQS and the EQE, I think, um, and I think it's about uh, sixteen. I think they're the ones that are charging sixteen hundred dollars a year. Um, so, <sighs> you, you know, you get an extra hundred horsepower, but you have to keep paying for it in perpetuity. Yeah, I think uh, I don't know why Mercedes is doing this because I mean we all like just hammered on BMW for years about CarPlay. And that was way less expensive. Just because you could get a Hyundai with CarPlay for, for, you know, as like either as an option and now a standard. But you only paid for it once. You pay for it once and then you move on. And Mercedes is like, oh, everyone will be fine with this. But they're not. They're not fine with it. Just just set it as a one-time fee. As a one-time fee, everyone's like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I can totally, you know, if someone's, oh, I want 68 more horsepower in my Polestar 2, would you have $200? You know what? Fine. I'll do it. You know, it's like putting mufflers and a header on your old car. You you probably paid, you know, you the the you know you probably pay that much, you know, six hundred dollars for the extra three horsepower back in yeah. the day. Um, but the, they're like, oh well, you know, if you just pay a couple hundred bucks a month. No, no, don't no, because we're already. It's like death by a thousand subscriptions at some point. You know, we, we're subscribed to so many things, and you know, care by Volvo, I think, is a really great, is really smart. It's a subscription service, but you get in the whole car. It's not, yeah, the subscription stuff for, for some of the some of the car stuff I understand. Like if FSD, when that works, or Super Cruise, if you don't want to have it all the time, you want to pay like, you know, 50 bucks because that month your family's going on a long road trip. Great. I can understand that. But just for power, just no, no, because no one's paying for power like for a month and then like, hey, look what I can do. And then, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so Mercedes is also charging twelve hundred, but it's it's an annual uh, subscription, um, and on the EQE three fifty, <clears throat> it raises the power from two hundred and fifteen to two hundred and sixty uh, kilowatts, so you get an extra um, uh, forty five kilowatts, so about sixty horsepower. So yeah. it's about the same increase um, <clears throat> as you get with the Polestar, uh, but you have to pay it every year that you want to keep it. Every you stop year, paying, not just once. You, you go back to being just a little bit slower. But then it takes you an extra second to get to 60 miles an hour. But then, of course, you have to understand, is this, this linked to the car or is it linked to the owner? If I sell this car I would later... Guess it's almost certainly linked to the um, to the owner. So so when I go to... So when you go... This happened with, like, Model S's. Uh, mm-hmm. When people are selling them on the, you know, 
use my lessons. They, people would buy them. They were selling them as, oh, it has you know, autopilot, which at the time was yeah. still uh, an option. And then, you know, you sold it as one of the options autopilot and then people would buy it. And then Tesla would retroactively turn off autopilot. Like, Hey, I paid for autopilot for this car, which is just like, okay. So now you, you, so, so now you're making the owner who's trying to sell the car, determine whether or not the things that he or she has already paid for are, are going to go with the car and then the people who are buying the car they have to figure out like well if i buy this with this extra power am i keeping the extra power or am i going to lose the extra power it's yeah it, it, it becomes this whole like really confusing thing i really think it should just be linked to the vehicles but that's my you know that's just for the sake of ease of yeah confusion but, but then you don't make confusing. It, you don't make as much profit then yeah, you can't double up on it. Yeah. But then you, you, yeah, then you have people like having to deal with, you know, it's a whole. Ugh. All right, uh, let's answer a couple of questions. Um, first up from Mark Shakespeare, uh, Stellantis dealers in every city here in Northwest Arkansas: Jeeps, Rams, Dodges, Chrysler, and even one Fiat dealer, but no Alfa Romeo dealer within 250 miles. <clears throat> in this situation, owning a new Julia with a warranty seems to be pointless. So I've been considering. A well-optioned, pre-loved 2019-2020 two-liter turbo Julia. I note the uh, note a little warranty left, and relying on finding a good independent mechanic. Though so far, not found a shop that mentions specializing in modern alphas. Is owning a Julia so far away from a trained alpha mechanic asking for trouble? I wrote the same kind of question on a popular Julia forum, and even there, they said I would need to be close to a solid dealer. Everyone says the Julia is a great driver's car, and it seems. Uh, a favorite with the journalist, even though it's not a wagon. Look forward to hearing words of wisdom from the wheel bearings car therapy team. Uh, I love the Julia. Yeah, me too. I love that car so much. I would not buy it if I wasn't near a dealer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and I, and that's, that's, that's such a, I mean, there are plenty of Julias on the road that have had zero problems, but I know if I bought one and we're Northwest Arkansas, <laughs> I know within like three months something weird would happen, and then I'd have to like trailer it for three hundred miles, you know, six hours away. In well, order he, to, he does mention that there is a Fiat dealer nearby. I mean, you can um, reach out to the dealership and see if they they have. Yeah, that's what I would staff. do is, is ask you know, ask the Fiat dealer or ask the other Stellantis dealerships, um, you know, if they will do service on a Julia. Um, certainly, they can they can definitely get parts for it. Um, the, you know, the, the challenge is whether their technicians have the training, you know, and, and are familiar with the car to do the diagnostics and, and to do the service on it. Um, the alpha dealer or the, the Fiat dealer is probably your best bet, uh, in this case, uh, to see if they're able to do it. If not, if they can't, if they can't do service, um, you know, find, you know, just because the number of modern alphas that have been sold is not huge. Yeah. Uh, in in the U.S., you know, in an area like this, you know, the number of them around, uh, you know, the me mechanics that you're going to be a unicorn if you have one. You're going to be like yeah. one of like three people. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the number of mechanics that are likely to know how to work on one are probably pretty slim. Um, so I would I would probably avoid it unless you move somewhere else. Um, all right. The other question we had this week was from uh, Bryn Berenshausen. Um, and uh, he says, hey, guys, had a thought about plug-in hybrids. I owned a smart, a standard hybrid, Prius, 
uh, and a BEV, a Model 3, and I can't say I'd actually want a plug-in hybrid. I get why on paper they seem like a good idea, but they're expensive, complicated, and don't get the real benefits of an EV because it's still the hybrid powertrain. Why is the standard for these being a tiny battery with a gas engine that powers the wheels instead of a full electric powertrain uh, with a mid-sized battery and a gas motor that just acts as a generator? This would give the, um, the better driving experience and efficiency from the electric motors with the uh, extended range from the gas without the complexity of the internal combustion engine and transmission. Uh, a bigger battery, say around 40 kilowatt hours, would make it more a more appealing package in my opinion. My commute is longer than most PHEVs range, and I'd still want more EV range for moderate road trips than these currently offer. I think BMW did this with the i3. Uh, train locomotives have done this, and it's, and it's the approach Edison Motors is taking for big rig trucks. Why hasn't it been tried for passenger cars? Cost. Just to write um, down. You throw in, like, yeah. you, that battery is so much more, exp is going to make that V, because you're already talking about expensive. If you're throwing a 40 kilo, you're just, you're, you're like, um, <laughs> you're throwing like a, a lot more money at that car in order to get the, the hybrid system. Yeah. So that's that you're talking about. Yeah. It, it ba basically what Bryn's describing uh, for the listeners is a series hybrid, um, you know, which is, if you go back to 2007 when uh, GM showed the original Chevy Volt concept, not the production version, but the concept, this is exactly what they described there, you know, small three-cylinder engine uh, that would just drive a generator to keep the battery charged when it, once it got depleted, and then the, um, the, the battery and the electric motors would drive the wheels. And also um, the Fisker Karma, the original Fisker, um, and it's now sold as the Karma Rivero um, and a couple of other variations of that. Um, that is also the same kind of configuration where the engine is not mechanically connected to the, the drive wheels at all. It just turns a generator. Um, it, 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 it's, in some ways, it's more complicated. Um, yeah. But you know, put, trying to do uh, you know, a 40 kilowatt hour battery pack in most vehicles and have a small engine for a generator would probably be too much to package. Although I do expect that we are going to see something like this um, on the truck side, um, particularly with Stellantis, uh, with, with the Ram pickup. Uh, they're going to show a concept version of this uh, next month at CES. And um, last year when, the, when Stellantis had their EV day, they hinted at uh, an extended, a range-extended version of the, the Ram EV. Um, and I, I think we will see something like this on the truck side, having, you know, a small engine range extender, um, to, uh, you know, to keep the battery charged once it gets depleted. Um, but you know, those are much larger vehicles and, you know, where that would be handy on something like the Ram is for towing. Uh, you know, cause this is the problem with towing is you lose so much range when you hook up a big trailer that having a range extender would be a huge benefit in that case. Um, you know, the, the BMW i3, it, you know, they used, you know, a, a two-cylinder boxer motorcycle engine as the range extender uh, for that one. And, you know, it, um, once you got into extended range mode, it, did, it, had, uh, it didn't have enough power. So you didn't have the full power of the vehicle available to you. So you 45 you miles at, an hour. <laughs> yeah, you had limited performance with that because the engine was so small. 
uh, couldn't drive a big enough generator to, to actually be all that useful. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, the reality is, you know, yeah, maybe for you, maybe for you, Bren, a plug-in hybrid doesn't make sense. But I think there's also a lot of people for whom it makes huge sense. I mean, if you, you know, 75, 80% of all daily driving is less than 40 miles. If you have a 40-mile electric range, 35 to 40-mile electric range, um, that hybrid is going to be, um, you know, that plug-in hybrid, that plug-in hybrid is going to meet most of your driving needs just on pure electricity without ever using that engine. Um, you know, and some hybrids, um, you know, are what we call through-the-road hybrids, where instead of the more complex um, uh, drive unit where the motors are integrated into the transmission, like the Toyota-style hybrids. Um, you have the uh, the Volvos, which have a, a through-the-road hybrid system. So it has just the conventional transmission and engine driving the front wheels and then an electric motor on the rear axle, and there's no mechanical connection between them. So when it's in electric mode, uh, it you know it's only driving off the rear axle, driving purely electrically. The engine's not doing anything at all. It's just along for the ride. Um, and... It, you know, in in that case, you know the latest versions of those will do about 33 to 36 miles on a charge, which again, for most people, is going to be sufficient to meet their daily driving needs, and you will very rarely ever turn on the engine. Yeah, it's it's. I think people think they drive a lot further than they actually do, just because traffic. They're like, well, I spent an hour in traffic. I'm like, how long did you? How far did you work, really? Yeah. And, and they look it up online. And they're like, oh my god, it's only 15 miles. <laughs> yeah. Like that's so it's it's yeah it's it we end up you know a lot of us drive not nearly as far as we do during our daily drive. My brother has a he has a, a Volt. Um, he loves that thing, and you know after when you know he had a, he has a pretty far commute actually. I think he does 30 something. But you know his drive there is you know on is electric. Um, at work he could charge it for a long time until they figured out they would. <laughs> <laughs> he was just plugging it in into the wall at work, and I can't do that anymore. But I think there and like some of the way back, like it was electric, and then you know it was gas after that. And then COVID happened, and he worked from home. And at one point, the car just told him, "You need to use up all the gas because you haven't used the gas in your car." Because he was just using it as a just driving around town, like taking care of things. And so because he's not doing that long commute anymore. Like, he wasn't using the gas. The gas was going bad. So he had to actually use, you know, the car was like, I have to use up all this gas because it's going bad. And then you can use the, the electric car. So there's, there, there are a lot of people. And I think there's, people are still sort of afraid of electric cars for a lot of reasons. You know, I think we haven't, you know, as a society, we haven't done a, a, a pretty great job at explaining how they actually work and how everything works and, and charging at home, et cetera. And, um, and so when you have these, well, I can still charge, but I still have that gas, so I can still do that other thing. And Americans buy cars for edge cases. That's yeah. you know, they, you know, they're, what if I want to go on a drive? What if there's an emergency? What if you know, if you live in Northern California, where there's a fire and I have to, you know, I have to evacuate, my electric car's not going to get me there. Whereas you know, I have a plug-in hybrid. I know that every day I'm just using electric, but when something happens, I have that gas, you know, that tried and true decades. Hundred over a hundred year old gas engine, it's ready to rock. So I think there's, you know, there's, you know, maybe for most people they're getting a plug-in hybrid, which they really could have just got an EV. But, you know, if it gets people into the the 
uh, getting used to plugging it in every night, and it gets people to understand that they're not driving nearly as far as they thought they were. If you know, if it's 40 miles and they realize they're never using gas, and they're like, oh, well, maybe my next car should be an EV, and this will be the you know, the car for road trips. And so it's it, logically, I can understand your you you know, but no one buys cars based on logic, to be honest. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, we wouldn't have Miatas and BRZs if, and, and, you know, if it was for logic. We'd all be driving Camrys. <laughs> yeah. RAV4s. We'd all be driving RAV4 Primes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, next week, we will have Nicole back with us. Um, thanks, everybody, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.